actually be seated. Lord, give me this message out of the book of Job just the other day. I feel led to come to this text and preach this. In chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, his substance also, seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Now, he was a righteous man. Come down to verse 6. I'm simply going to preach tonight on God can make this trial a blessing. God can make this trial a blessing. There might be a new convert here. There might even be a sinner here. But most of us are familiar with our Bible and familiar with the book of Job. Not a greater trial ever happened to anybody that I know of in the Bible or outside, outside of Calvary than what happened to Job. The greatest man, and he got in the worst of conditions. Look in verse 6. The Bible said, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made in the hedge? We've got a little bit of sassing going on here. I never saw it like that until an old preacher, old country preacher, Pointed out, said the devil was smarting off, and that's what got God riled up. Where have you been? What you been doing? And Satan said, going to and fro and walking up and down. He said it with an attitude. I've been doing what I want to do. I've been going where I want to go and doing what I want to do. And the Lord said, oh, is that right? Been to Job's house? He said, well, now, now when I got there, I couldn't get in. <laughs> Not exactly been going everywhere that he wanted to go and doing everything he wanted to do. Can I tell you that he is, First Peter 5, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? Ain't you glad that he can't go everywhere he wants to go? Do everything he wants to do? Got God riled up, and uh, the Lord said, uh, "I need to remind you of somewhere that you ain't been." And then Job, then uh, Satan, smarted off again. Said, "Well, you just drop that hedge you got around him, and I bet he'll curse you to his face." And that's what he said in verse eleven. Of course, I don't need to skip verse ten. The devil testifying by accident. <laughs> one of the best verses in the Old Testament, and the devil's the one that said it. Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house? Go ahead and testify, devil. I appreciate it. And all that he hath on every side. 
Thou hast blessed. The, you think the devil don't know where God's blessing? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put, now it shows how much he knows. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Well, turned out that wasn't true. Not only he can't go everywhere he wants to go, he don't know everything he thinks he knows. Turned out that wasn't true. Job never did curse God. Verse 12, the Lord turned the devil loose on Job. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord. And in the next few verses, sure enough, all of hell was unleashed against Job. He sat down and had him a worship service. And we're fixing to have some of that here in America. Everywhere I'm going, they're losing their jobs. Pastors are telling me my tithe is down 60%, what it has been. And I reminded some pastors yesterday uh, on my phone, trying to encourage some brethren, that uh, Jesus got to a point where he couldn't pay his bills in. Simon Peter and them boys come up and say, Hey, Lord, it's time to pay taxes, and we ain't got nothing. Well, that's encouraging, ain't it, right there? Aren't you glad to know Jesus ran out of money, too? Does that help me and you a little bit here tonight? He said, take your hook and go down there and drop it in the sea and catch your fish. I tell you what the church ought to do, honey, whenever you run out of money, go after sinners. Well, I lost you then there. Where'd y'all go to? Y'all ain't excited about going after sinners? Let me rewind that a little bit. When I hit something, I don't run away from it. I run into it. Jesus said, here's how we'll remedy that. Take your hook and go down to the sea. That's them boys he called to be fishers of men. He's teaching them how to do it. Drop that hook in the sea. He said, you'll pull up a fish, open its mouth, and there'll be a coin right there. Yes, Go after sinners, and the Lord will pay the bills. Well, now, in chapter 2, this thing didn't work out for the devil too well. He said, if you'll just let me turn me loose on him, I'll do everything. The Lord turned him loose, said you can do everything but kill him. Oh, look in verse 6 of chapter 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. I ain't never heard nobody shouting about that lately. God's turned me over to Satan. <laughs> I ain't never had a preacher sign that one for a life verse. I got five Bibles from my childhood when them men of God signed it. Never did get Job 2.6 in there. Woo! I mean, you enjoy going over there in Paul's epistles where he said, just turn that one over to Satan. But God might turn you over to Satan for a little while. <laughs> Sorry to be the one to make that little announcement to you right there. <laughs> but that's exactly what God did. I got news for you. God's going to do whatever God wants to do and ain't going to ask you permission about it. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. And there the devil got turned loose on him. And when his friends came to him in verse 12, they didn't even know who he was. Didn't even know who he was. He was in such bad shape. I want to stop and say this tonight, that God can make this trial a blessing. He did it for Job. He did it with Job. The greatest trial that we ever seen was made to be a great blessing. I have an introduction. <clears throat> Let me run it by you. Brother Dennis, bring me my little bottle of water I got under the thing there. I'm feeling fine. I just may have a little overtime in me. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate the Lord letting you pray for us a while ago. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! I needed that. I felt like I had a little coming back my way. Lord let me pour a little something in you a month ago. And, <laughs> and you turn around and pour a little something back in me right there. God, that little turnabout there, God, ain't that something how the Lord will do that for us? I want to say this about Job's trial. Number one, it came from history. This is a very intriguing and a fascinating book. Scholars who have never, even, literary scholars who have never even been saved are impressed and amazed by this ancient piece of literature, the book of Job. It comes from the oldest piece of time outside of the creation account. You can't get older and go back further in time with literature than the book of Job. You read it sometime and you'll see they knew more about science. They knew more about life. They knew more about eternity. They knew more about God. They knew more about the arts and the sciences and philosophy that and I thought man was supposed to be a caveman grunting around back there in a the cave with a head like a monkey. But your Bible takes you way back in time to this most ancient piece of Scripture. And you find out that man ain't grunting and snorting and thumping stuff with a stick. But he's putting the most sophisticated and the most intellectual stuff out that's ever seen literature. I got a whole page I ain't going to bore you with of the literary scholars from the last 400 years who said there ain't never more been a more impressive piece of literature than this ancient piece of Scripture called the book of Job. Now, it came from history. Then it came from hell. Job's trial came from hell. It did come from history. I need to stop and throw this in. I get a little tickled at some of these folk because of our most recent election, which I can't talk about yet. And how do people act like that we're going to get immediately raptured out just because America's took a little turn? Wow, you're egotistical. Gas goes up, you think Jesus is going to snatch you out and just shut everything down. Heck, tell you this, but your Bible is not America-centered. It is Israel-centered. It don't run off D.C., New York City, or Los Angeles. Your Bible clock runs around Jerusalem and heaven. And people act like we ain't never had it this hard. God took us as far back in time as anybody has ever been. And guess what? The most righteous man there was having the hardest time anybody's ever had. I got a little sermon. I ain't got time to preach for tonight on it's always been this hard. Get over it. 
You can say I don't bring little things of whipped cream and peaches when I, when I preach that. It's always been this tough. I get tickled in the South with all of my preacher friends. They act like it's the first time that it's been hard to live for God. God made Adam and Eve, and He kept them from going to hell. And the first fellow we watch get saved is Abel. He got saved and got killed for getting saved. They wasn't a beer joint around. They wasn't a dirty magazine around. They wasn't a nightclub around. They wasn't no sin nowhere that me and you've identified as sin. Abel got saved. Cain got mad. Abel got killed for getting saved. It's always been hard to live for God. Act like it's the first time it's ever been. This thing came from history. Job's trial came from hell. The devil was unleashed on him. Job's trial was controlled by heaven. Ain't you glad that God was running the show? This Job's trial was commented on by humans. He had three friends came around. They'd done real good for them first seven days when they kept their mouth shut. But when they felt compelled to unload all their great wisdom, honey, then they began to make a mess of things. It had commentary by humans. Can I say you might as well get used to that too? As long as anything ever happens to anybody, there will be a pious, religious little outfit sitting in a corner like a bunch of buzzards up on a fence post. Can't wait to pick it apart and tear it apart. Tell you, they saw it coming. They knew it was happening. They knew what was wrong with that church. They knew what was wrong with that preacher. They knew what was wrong with your family. And that's funny. They never said anything about it. Them past day prophets instead of them last day, the day after Sunday. They make the prophecy the day after it happened. Where was you the day before it happened with all your wisdom? Yeah, I saw that one coming funny. You didn't mention it to nobody. Commentary by humans. And I said it'd be a great day in my life and your life when you get over public opinion. But you got one big hurdle after that. You got to get over two or three private opinions. The truth is that public opinion ain't hard for us. We're all rednecks. We like making everybody mad. <laughs> you know, good and well, we bump it a couple inches too far just because we enjoy gouging them a little bit. <laughs> Amen. I know what part of Alabama I'm in. Y'all enjoy being a shouting church. I'm guilty as charged. I was a ringleader at my church, honey. I was the first Baptist church on the side of the main highway that went to Disney World. I got a whole lot of Sunday morning folk that wanted to drop in somewhere to First Baptist because they're from out there. <laughs> Some very interesting moments there to pull off the main highway. There's the first Baptist that's swinging here and get a little 20-minute sip of tea. <laughs> oh, Lord. Don't think I didn't enjoy it a little too much now. I sure did. Oh, commentary by humans. Job's trial 
It was confusing to him. Job's trial was. It was confusing to him. God never told him what was going on. God didn't contact him ahead of time. So don't give you a little heads up there. I'm going to be turning all the hell against you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'll be expecting that. By the way, there ain't nothing wrong with you. I've just been a little miffed up here, and I'm going to show the devil a thing or two. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Don't need to have a nervous breakdown. Don't have an emotional breakdown. Don't have a spiritual breakdown. You're going to have a financial breakdown and a health breakdown and a family breakdown. But, uh, no, sir. Job didn't get no heads up. Job didn't even get a heads up in the middle of it. Now, I don't know how to tell you this. When God did show up, He chewed Job out. Got down there in chapter 38, first time he showed him, he said, come here, Job, stand up. Gird yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you a few things. When that sovereign God starts really acting sovereign, I wonder how religious we really are. It was confusing to him. But I want to say this, it was complimentary to him. Can I say this to you? It was not his iniquity. Them three friends of him of his kept trying to find the secret sin. His three friends kept trying to find this, and Job was looking for his problem. He was confessing everything he could ever think of. Job was trying to confess his sin. His three friends were trying to confess his sin, and there wasn't no sin at issue. It was not his iniquity that got him in this mess. It was his integrity. Yes, sir. Job didn't get in the worst trial that humans have ever witnessed because he was bad. Job got in the worst trial we've ever seen because he was good. That amazes me. I'm always ready to think, boy, I've been bad. That's the way I think. I guess because I'm just seed up with being bad. And I feel like somebody ought to warp me upside the head, smack me a good one. I know I deserve it. Growing up thinking like that and still think like that now. And can't hardly ever enter into the goodness and mercies of God. And you reckon that bad thing might have happened to you not because you're bad, but because you're so good? Well, I wouldn't have said it except it's in the Bible. <laughs> Woo! You said you need to tell people how bad they are. They already know, and plenty of folks have told them. In my text tonight, I'm just looking at this. Job got in the mess. He was in because he was so good. It was his integrity and not his iniquity. It was complimentary to him. I don't know how to say this to me and you tonight. But honey, when we step on side the other shore and them big stacks of crowns, we're going to be amazed from this crowd. A lot of stuff's going to clear up for you. You'll be amazed when he hugs you and puts that, kisses you on the cheek and puts that crown on your head and says, Oh, I thought you were so wonderful. Well, I feel just like you do. You've got to be kidding me. We put a crown of thorns on his head, and he's going to put crowns of glory on ours. 
And all we got to do is be faithful. You ain't got to be fancy. You ain't got to be impressive. You ain't got to be reproductive. You ain't even got to outdo anybody. Just what you got in your hand. Don't give it to the world. Give it to me. That's Bible. That's how you can be all right when he comes back. Make sure you hadn't buried your talents. Make sure you've invested them. And he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful. Oh, it was complimentary to him. Job's trial came from history. It came from hell. It's controlled by heaven. It was commented on by humans. It was confusing to him, but it was complimentary to him. And Job's trial gives us the cry of humanity. Going back to the oldest piece of Scripture, outside of the Genesis creation account, takes us also back to the oldest question. Why is there suffering? And more pointedly, why do the righteous suffer? Is that not the oldest question? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? And why do the righteous suffer? I agree with our friend, Brother Dana. The Lord used him to help me in my life in so many ways, Brother Dana Williams. And I've heard Brother Dana preach out of Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good. And the secular philosophers and the humanists and atheists have put out that question on why do bad things happen to good people? And I agree with Brother Dana and what he said. Why do good things happen to bad people? That's what I relate to. Why do good things happen to bad people? Honey, I don't deserve to be blessed tonight. But Job gives us both sides. Why do bad things happen to good people? And the most ancient piece of Scripture brings us the most ancient question. Why? God can make this trial a blessing. God used Job's trial to show us some of the greatest truths that this Bible teaches. And I want to stop and say this about that. Isn't it amazing that it was in this greatest trial that we gather some of the greatest truth? And God had this little piece of writing around a long time to helpful through the years. The greatest trial that we've ever seen outside of Calvary brought the greatest treasures and the greatest truths that you can ever have. Let me ask you this. What was the most awful thing that ever happened on planet earth. It was Calvary, wasn't it? What happened to the incarnate Son of God on Calvary? What happened to the precious body of the Lord Jesus? Calvary was the worst thing that ever happened on this planet. Now let me ask you another question. What was the greatest thing ever happened on this planet? You know the answer. What was the greatest thing ever happened? It was Calvary. The worst thing we ever watched happen was Calvary. The greatest thing we ever watched happen was Calvary. Do you go ask you a question? You reckon the worst thing ever happened to you is probably the best thing ever happened to you? And I want each of you to take your own inventory. 
Them bad things happening to you is actually brings about the good things that happen in you. And I believe if we did a survey tonight, every one of you come back after you ponder on it, come back next Sunday and tell your pastor I've thought about it, and the worst thing that ever happened to me brought about the best things that ever happened to me. God can make your trial a blessing. Here's how Job's trial worked. Now, I got my eye on the clock. I got my eye on the pastor. And uh, I got my eye on glory. We're going to see who wins. <laughs> Watch this. Here's three things tonight. In Job's trial, we learn some of the greatest truths this Bible teaches. I want to say these three things, and I'll be done. Number one, through Job's trial, God's made his trial a blessing because of what we learn about suffering. What we learn about suffering. Brother, can I say to you that this was a suffering book. Can I get a witness right there? And you know what amazes me about suffering is that God did not ever explain anything. And even at the end of his trial, God God blessed him and restored him, but didn't really tell him what was going on. And I tell you, the brother, about suffering, and I ain't got no bunch of big sub-points here. I just want to talk to you. Suffering, God never told him why. Can I tell you that what we learned through the book of Job is with these things that we suffer, you don't have to know why, you just need to know Him. I'm going to run out and buy you again. You ain't got to know why, you just got to know Him. Go with me to Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. Job was doing his best to figure out what was happening, why it was happening. And by the way, in the three hours of darkness, Jesus cried out. Can anybody tell me what he cried out in that three hours of darkness on Calvary? Honey, this will help you if you'll get a hold of it. In that three hours of darkness, Jesus asked God why. And God did not answer him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the heavens continue to be black. And the heavens continue to be brass. Tells me two things watching Jesus cry out to his Father. We know Jesus was without sin. It must be okay to ask why. And it must be okay to not get an answer. Yes, sir. Well, that ought to excite you a little more than it did. I need to know that God ain't going to tell me everything I ever ask about. He didn't tell Jesus. He didn't tell Job. Jesus definitely had the worst trial anybody ever had. I'm going to give Job the second place ribbon. They both asked why. God never answered. And God liked both of them real good. He liked Jesus. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when His beloved Son, in whom He was well pleased, was hollering, Why? In the middle of His darkest hour, God didn't see fit to answer. Tells me it's all right 
to holler why. And it's all right for God not to tell you why. I'm going to go back to our little talk about faith and feelings. Feelings has to know why. Faith just has to know Him. Watch this. I love Job 23. Oh, see, I'm doing my best not to preach the whole book to you. I've been studying the whole book. I'm doing my best. Job 23. And look in verse, and then Job answered and said, verse 2, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew. Honey, he is wanting to know some things. Oh, that I knew. Look in verse 5. I would know. Verse 3 again. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. He said, oh, I wish I could know. Look in verse 8. He went to hunting God. Have you ever went to hunting God and couldn't find God? Don't be discouraged. It don't mean that necessarily God's against you. It don't mean He's forgot you. It don't mean He's angry with you. Jesus couldn't get an answer in His dark hour, and Job couldn't find Him in His dark hour. Watch this. I'm in verse 8. Job said, Behold, I go forward, but He's not there. He said, I go backward, but I cannot perceive Him. On the left hand, where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Look at me just for a second. Honey, Job said, oh, I wish I could know where he was. I wish I could know what he was doing. I wish I could know why this was happening. But watch out. You can look back at your Bible now in verse 10. One thing he did know. One thing he did know. He knew that God knew. If y'all read verse 10, you can go ahead and pop your own happy bubble. Look what Job did say in verse 10. But he knoweth. Now, I like the whole verse, but them three words is helping me pretty good. But he knoweth. I'm going to let you try that in a while and see if you like it. But he knoweth. He knoweth. I don't know, but he knoweth. I can't find him, but he knoweth. I don't know where he is, but he knoweth. I don't know where I am, but he knoweth. I don't know why this is happening, but He knows. But He knows. But He knows. Honey, you ain't got to know why. You just got to know Him. And I love what He said. But He knows the way that I take. That I take. When He has tried me, I shall come forth as God. Honey, I'm just here to tell you one thing about your suffering. You may not know why. You may never know why. You ain't got to know why. I ain't going to go over there because I ain't going to preach till midnight. But if you go to chapter 37 or chapter 38, when the Lord finally answered, then answered the Lord out of the whirlwind. And when He finally spoke to Job, He had 77 questions. He said, I'll be God here today. <laughs> you ain't got to know. 
You ain't got to know anything except one thing. You got to know Him. What does chapter 19, verse 25 say? If you'll flip backward in your Bible. I love chapter 19. Oh, and by the way, you, you, you can't skip verse 23. Now, see, I want to preach this whole chapter. See how hard I'm struggling up here? <laughs> Look in verse 23. I need to get over in one of them third world countries where they want you to preach six hours. Americans. Verse 23. And, and, I, and I just got to pop me a little happy bubble right here. Y'all want to read verse 23 just for fun tonight? Look what he said, Mama Henderson. Look what he said. He said, oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Isn't that funny? God was going, I can't do it. You'd be amazed what God's doing for you while He's letting the devil do things to you. And look what He said in verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. He said, I'm about to die here, but He ain't. (laughs) Can I get a witness? I'm trying to tell you all about your suffering. You ain't got to know why. You just got to know Him. Woo! I'm ready to go to my second point now, but I may want to shout a little bit before I do. Woo! It ain't meant for me and you to understand things. It's meant for me and you to believe things. We're not to understand God, we're to believe God. If you could understand God, there wouldn't be no trust involved in it. Wouldn't be no trust. I got a two-year-old girl and I got a, a five-year-old boy. And I ain't letting them go up them steps at Brother Dana's. And I ain't letting them come down them steps. And I ain't telling them why. They don't need to explain it to them. They just need to go where I put them and it'll be a safe place. God may let, let some of y'all go up. You've been trying to go up a long time. You try to understand why God won't let you up stairs. Won't you just trust your father and stay in the basement? You gotta understand God, you gotta trust God. What did he say back there in chapter twenty three? He hideth himself. Was that verse nine? He hideth himself. He hideth himself. But now I got news, some of y'all. I've been around south long enough to hear this crowd testify. It's always ready to quit. Don't think your little testimony gets me stirred up. They'll jump up and testify. Well, preacher, I tell you what, I'm glad they sang that song right there. It's about ready to throw in the towel tonight. What's wrong with you? Somebody was talking like that three months ago, too. I mean, you had me upset the first time I heard you talking like that. I prayed for you for a month. That's five straight years of you always being ready to quit. I'm just maybe thinking there's another problem here.
Kind of like some of you always got to have counselor. You know, the crowd's always got to have counseling, has always needed counseling. And you know, the ones that always need it is going to need it ten years from now, so people still be trying to counsel them. You reckon there's another problem there? Say, I'm like a bloodhound. I ain't satisfied until I strike a trail. I don't do three points in a little poem and go home. I have to find where you're at and then root you out and get you up in a tree and then shoot you down. <laughs> Turn you over to God on the altar and say, I got him tonight, Lord. Here it is. <laughs> said he hideth himself. Y'all better get used to that. I got a little Cherokee blood in me where my black hair comes from, my brown eyes. Had a great-great-grandmother on one side, full-blooded Cherokee, and another one on the other side up in the hills of North Georgia. You go to Cherokee, North Carolina, you can see some of them Cherokees, most of them was, took the Trail of Tears. Mr. Andrew Jackson sent them out to Oklahoma. The 12-year-old boys in the Cherokee tribe have a ritual a passageway whereby they're initiated into manhood. They're made to be men. And they go through a month-long ceremony of initiations. But the last one, the final test, is they have to spend the night out in the wilderness by themselves, blindfolded. And the little 12-year-old boy has to go out there and sit all night long in the woods with the wind howling and the wolves howling. Honey, when I hear a bump in my 21st century house, I send Jennifer. I tell her, I'm the man of God. I'll pray. You go find that. God wants me to pray for this family. I'm the high priest of this house. God wants me to stand in the gap spiritually, baby. You go check it out. She's a swamper. She's a redneck. She can pick up a frying pan and whoop three men. <laughs> Don't none of you girls from Alabama think you can take her. She's a swamper. <laughs> oh, yes. Y'all look at her like she's shy and quiet and pretty. Swamper. <laughs> I send her to go get them. I'm scared of the dark. <laughs> I'm 39. And an evangelist. And I'm scared of the dark. That little Cherokee boy's got to sit there all night long blindfolded and hear those sounds and feel the elements and hear the wind. And if he comes through that night, they said that when he feels the morning sun kiss his cheek and he feels the warmth of it on his cheek, that he can take that blindfold off. And they said when he does, the first thing he sees is his father standing next to him with a big spear and a bow and arrow, and he'll say, Son, I've been here all night long. We just needed to put something in you that make you a man. I wasn't going to leave you here by yourself, but I needed you to think you was by yourself to put something down in you. I got news for some of y'all. 
God's trying to get you out of the nursery of feelings and put you in the classroom with adults where you're teachers and not to be taught. He's going to put something in you. And he'll hide himself. So you can find some things that he's put in you. Suffering. I need to come down to the end now. He hadn't put a time on me, but I'm I'm trying to remember. And I'm not in heaven yet. Suffering. Through Job's trial, we learn something about suffering. Can I say this? Through Job's trial, we learn something about Satan. This is a very... Hear me now! This is a very amazing study. The book of Job on Satan. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I don't want to know any more about him than I have to. I ain't interested in hanging out with him. He's a pretty bad dude. He's as bad as they come. He's the most mighty of the archangels. He had the highest position of the archangels. He saw the throne of God coveted after it. Pride was found in his heart. That was the original iniquity. He wanted to be God. I'm going to tell you something about Satan. That is very scary. And this is what has damned him. Is that he don't believe God. He don't believe God. Oh, he knows God. Knows him better than me and you know him. He's been with God. He was created by God. He had something cocky about him. He thought he could be God. And he ain't never submitted to God since his rebellion. And he don't really believe. He arguing with God in chapter 1. Revelation. The devil rageth, for he knoweth that he hath but a short time. There's some things he's figured out, but there's some things he's still trying to pull off. And when they let him out of the pit at the end of the thousand years, he's going to go at it again and try to deceive the nations. He still thinks he can take over. He still don't quite believe God. He don't believe God like he should. And that's where he messed up Eve and got her not to believe God. Not to believe what God had said. Like he said it. The way he said it for what he meant to say. He got her twisted up in that. That's what he's done with the whole world. He's got us twisted. Honey, when you can talk a third of the angels into leaving heaven, you're a pretty slick liar. When you can come into a nation like America and persuade a bunch of men that they're women. You know, you can feed me a few lies. One of them ain't going to be, you ain't going to convince me I'm a woman. I hugged a bunch of you fellas tonight and didn't feel like kissing not one of you. Never crossed my mind. What kind of devil is it that make a bunch of women think they're men and a bunch of men that they're women? That's a very dangerous devil. He can also make a whole world think they're right with God and get their religion is all they need and he's going to take a pile of them to hell. He is a very dangerous thing. Y'all want to have a little fun? I'm watching you. I know when I'm going to turn you loose. Go to Job. The very last. 
chapter 41, just for a second here. I'm not going to deal with this. just going to show it to you. Job chapter 41, one of the most revealing chapters in your Bible concerning Lucifer, Satan, that dragon. And some of y'all stop and think with all these Disney characters are called the beast, called the dragon, devils and imps, all these little Disney characters, and all of a sudden they're our favorites. Dragons are beloved. Beasts are beloved. Half man, half beast creatures can't be a Disney movie without it. Taking you right back to Genesis 6, taking you right in the middle of Revelation. Every other Hollywood movie is about a superhero from another world going to save this world. Hello? You think the devil ain't got the young people wrapped up? When mamas are buying Harry Potter books, number one best-selling book in America is witchcraft, devils, and demons, and witches, and wizards. You think we ain't come a long ways, baby, when we think witches are our heroes? That's where we're at. Watch him now in Job 41. Honey, you ought to stop and thank God run around this building for about an hour tonight that God lets you see the truth. In this hour that we live. Here's Leviathan. Job 41, one of the greatest Old Testament pictures of Satan. This is part of these 77 questions. Job 41, 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or his tongue with a cord? Canst thou put a hook into his nose? Or bore his jaw through with a thorn? By the way, these 77 questions were... You can't, but I can. You didn't, but I did. You weren't there, but I was there. God was making a point. I'm glad to know that I can't mess with hell, but God can. I can't deal with Satan, but God can. Look how the devil works in verse 3. Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Somebody ought to preach on that. He'll speak soft words unto you and seduce you right into sin. Verse 4, will he make a covenant with thee? Verse 9, behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Even Michael, the archangel of the book of Jude, when contending with the body and disputed about the body of Moses, he durst not speak a reviling word against that old Lucifer. But he said, the Lord rebuked thee. He wouldn't touch him. He said, Lord, the Lord rebuked thee. I ain't messing with you. And that's God's war angel. Michael, none is so fierce that dare stir him up. On and on and on. I wanted to show you this. Verse 14, who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride. Shut up together as with a close seal. On and on. Verse 18 through verse 21 says, he's a fire-breathing dragon. By his kneesings, that sneezings, that's his nostrils, a light doth shine. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps. Sparks of fire leap out out of his nostrils. Goeth smoke out of his seething potter. Caught in his breath, kindleth coals of flame. Goeth out of his mouth. Verse 24, his heart is as firm as a stone. Verse 25, when he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. Verse 31, he maketh the deep to boil like a pot. 
Make it the sea like a pot of ointment. Make it a path to shine after Him. One would think the deep to be holy. Upon earth there is not as like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. And he carried the incarnate Son of God up on the top of the temple and showed Him, Hey! Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. How does a fellow do that? And he offered Jesus the fame, the power, and the glory of the kingdoms of the world. He said they've been mine to give. I'm just trying to make a point. Job teaches us something about Satan. I've got news for you. I want to know just enough to know how to resist him. All we got to do is resist him. Watch this. Come back to chapter 1. Come back to chapter 1. I'm bringing it down for the landing. Look in chapter 1 and verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Satan seems to have certain powers. God has providentially, within his own sovereign will and wisdom, given the devil certain powers and certain provinces and certain privileges. And the devil operates as a prince of the power of the air. He's a little G God of this world. He's been given certain dimensions and certain dominion. But it ain't because he's running things because... God don't want him to. God's in control of Satan. Watch this now. I'm going to run some things by you real quick. Satan seemed to have certain powers with the heathen. In verse 15, he caused the Sabaeans to come down there. In verse 17, he caused the Chaldeans to come down there and wreak havoc. Satan seems to have certain powers with the heathen. And I tell you, you ought to thank God you're a blood-washed, born-again member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight because the devil's ruling the heathen. And he's running them, and he's running them, and he's reprobating them. The heathen. Look what he did with the heathen. And Satan seemed to have certain powers with the heavens. In verse 16, they said the fire of God's fallen from heaven. And in verse 19, they said, There came a great wind from the wilderness. Wow, we! Does that not amaze you? Satan can do something with fire and with wind. By the way, those are the two Bible emblems of the Holy Spirit. Honey, you better watch out just because you've seen fire and wind. You think you've seen God. You better be careful. I need to get all these people that love the little charismatic channel and all the little TV evangelists. You've seen them producing fire and wind. Honey, you better watch out for what you've seen. These last hours abound with false prophets, false brethren, false teachers, false doctrine, false Christ. Fire and wind. He seemed to have power of the heavens. He seemed to have power with health. When he was allowed, he brought great boils out on Job's body, did everything but kill him. He seems to have power with the heart. He made Job's wife say, just curse God and die. i got a whole sermon right there. Job stood by his woman. I think I might write a song on Stand By Your Woman. <laughs> Somebody's already wrote the other and I'm going to write another. 
Ain't she glad that Job stood by his wife? He said, you're not a foolish woman. Quit talking like one. Adam stood by his bride. Christ stands by his bride when she don't act right. When she don't talk right. When she don't do right. When she plays the harlot. Stand by your woman. Wish I could have another hour right now and preach on just stay in that marriage. Job said, you ain't a foolish woman. Don't talk like him. Honey, and he stood by her. She said, let's just curse God and die. She was broken hearted. I don't think she's being wicked. I think she's being wounded. Satan seems to be able to affect the heathen, the heavens, the hell, and the heart. But I need to make an announcement. I'm glad to know that a devil that was described in the end of this book and can have power with the heathen and with the heavens and with our health and with our heart. I'm glad he can't do nothing with the hedge. Ain't you? I was getting a little scared of him there. Until I remembered back there in verse, chapter 1, verse 10. God has got a hedge. I'm about to pick up this pulpit like the gates of the city and carry it to another town. Shout for an hour. Hallelujah! Under the summer, God saved me and called me to preach. The devil tried to kill me three times. Volkswagen dove off. Mama was driving. Jason, my brother, who's now a pastor in Virginia. Jason was in the back seat. We was just poor preacher's kids. Somebody give us a Volkswagen with slick tire, and that's all we had, Brother Bowman. Mama was carrying fried chicken to the men building a new church. And come around that curve in them Tennessee hills, and a wall of rain was falling. That thing hydroplane that went 12 foot through the air. I remember it sailing. I can see the corn coming up now. I put my hand on that dashboard. I can see it right now. And the next thing I know, we're out there in the middle of that cornfield. This little Volkswagen is crunk like a Coke can if you stomped. And Jason's standing on the highway. He don't know how he got there. Little brother, he was nine. He's standing on the highway. When the thing quit rolling, he's standing back up on the road. <laughs> Y'all shout when you get home if you want to, but you could right now. He's pastoring in Virginia tonight. And nobody, to this day, nobody, they just scratch their head. There's the Volkswagen. Here's the nine-year-old in the back seat standing on the highway. <laughs> yeah, Volkswagen. The thing hit and smashed the road, and he's standing back up on the highway. <laughs> Don't make me preach that to you. Be another 20 minutes. And me and Mama's between the two little seats laid on each other. Not a scratch. Not a scratch. She opened the door, and it swung open, and we crawled out in the mud and walked up on the highway. All just stood on the highway. And wheels are rolling and smoke are rising. That thing crumpled like a can. We're standing up there. <laughs> Daddy put up an old parsonage, bought an old barn, $1,500, made a house out of it. 
the night before we moved in, we'd already had all our stuff in there, five bullet holes, them old, them old chicken fighters, them old drunks down there on the state line, them old moonshiners, demon possessed. Put five bullet holes through that house. They didn't know whether we was in there or not. We'd been in and out of that thing all month long and was moving in the next night. Five bullet holes, high-powered rifle. They killed somebody down there about every three months. They killed somebody. We responded like Christians who was in God's army. <laughs> they had loaded up everything we had and we all encamped around about the next night. Shot at everybody that drove by. <laughs> we ain't sure who it was, but they never came back. We was picking blackberries that August. Jason walked over, five foot three inch rattlesnake. Then I stepped on it after he'd walked over it, and the thing never moved. In shedding season, they're blind. They'll strike anything when they're shedding their skin. We treaded on that serpent, and he just laid there. They come out there with a gun, shot it, and it struck for two hours. It wouldn't quit striking. I'm glad that there's a bad devil loose, but he can't do a thing with this hedge. That was the summer God saved Jason, saved me. I'm going to close on this. It's 828. I'm going to let you go at 829 and a half. Unless the thing grows on me a little bit. Let me close with this. If you'll give me four minutes, I'll give this to you. I'll be done in five minutes. <laughs> it won't take me no longer than six or seven minutes to get this off my heart. And in eight minutes, we'll give an altar call. After about nine or ten minutes, see if the Lord wants to. And in eleven or twelve, leave me alone. <laughs> Here it is. I'm going to close on this. God can make His trial a blessing because we learn about suffering. We learn about Satan. But I want to say in the book of Job, we learn about sovereignty. God's running this thing. Don't be scared of that word sovereign or sovereignty. It don't mean we're fatalist. We believe that Jesus died for everybody. His blood was shed for everybody. You're supposed to say amen right there real loud. Anybody can and could and should get saved. Whosoever will be saved. The Holy Spirit is here to draw sinners. Don't be scared of that word sovereignty. It was a sovereign God who gave us a saving gospel. He's a sovereign God. And in the book of Job, if you learn anything, you learn about sovereignty. Yes, He's a sovereign God. Every star has a name. Every hair has a number. Every sparrow has a funeral. Every snowflake has a design. Every grain of sand has been placed where it is. Every wave has permission where to stop and go back and come again. Because He's a sovereign God. I'm going to close with this, Pastor. I found something in the book of Job blow my mind. The title, Almighty where the Lord said, I am the Almighty, capital A, 
Did you know that God is called the Almighty in Job more than all the rest of the Bible put together? Go home tonight, get your concordance, go home, get your computer program, whatever, punch in Almighty. 31 verses in the book of Job. All the rest of the Bible put together does not have that many Almighty's in it. Whoa. Wow. Happy bubbles by the dozen. Why does that blow your mind, Brother Dean? Because if there's one book where it looks like God's youngins getting the stuffing beat out of him, is the one book where God said, look how strong I am. Look where I am. Look where I am strong. I am the Almighty. What book did He choose to say that in? In the one where His young had been turned over to Satan to just wear Him out for a while. That was where God was mighty. Do you want to know where God's strength is going to be found? In your suffering. The Almighty! Look at the first mention of Almighty in the book of Job. It's chapter 5. And verse 17, this blows my mind. Behold, happy. Are y'all at chapter 5, verse 17? Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. He maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make cold. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven. There shall no evil touch thee. I've got to quit reading the Bible or I'll preach another hour. He's the Almighty. And what about that correct and chasten? Isn't that Hebrews 12 proof that you're God's youngin? Correction and chastening. That's the Almighty! God wants you to know this is the Almighty God. He's in charge of eternity. He's in charge of earth. And He's in charge of the end. In chapter 42, it said, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. He gave him twice as much as he has had before. Ain't you glad that God's in charge of the end? He's a sovereign God. He's in charge of eternity. He's in charge of earth. And He's in charge of the end. i close with this. Forty-two chapters in the book of Job. Job gives you one of the greatest pictures of Israel going through the great tribulation. Satan unleashed on him. For 42 chapters. That three and a half years of great tribulation is going to be unleashed on Israel. <laughs> There's another sermon. I ain't going to start it. Job teaches us about the second coming. But you can't handle it. I'm going to leave you right there. You're, you're not third world. You're first world. and you got to go do something. I ain't sure what it is. The book of Job is blocked off into 144 divisions, the way it lays itself out. 144,000 saints. It lays on the ground seven days and seven nights. Picture that Daniel's 70th week. He's in the land of us, which is Petra, where Israel's going to be during that three and a half years. 
Satan's going to be unleashed on Israel for three and a half years. But, honey, when the thing comes to the end, Jesus is coming back, and I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And in my flesh I shall see God. I see him for myself and not another. He's a sovereign God. And you just need to know him. You don't need to know why. I want you to bow your heads.